0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: Five, four, three, two,
0: one, two, ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett from the nation's capital. Major. Fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And
1: you should know better. Thank you. Thank Welcome you. to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this program known as The Takeout on 75 plus radio stations around the country, including Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, all the podcast platforms. And on CBSN, our digital streaming news platform at CBS, our guest this week, Adam Kinzinger, Congressman, 16th District of Illinois, Republican, one of 10 Republicans to vote to impeach President Donald Trump. Congressman, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Congressman's at his apartment. I'm at mine. Uh, Internet connections being what they are during this pandemic season, we may have some glitches. Sympathize with us, number one, and also roll with it, number two. So, Congressman, let's start at the top. Do you believe your vote to impeach the president places you at any greater personal jeopardy than those in your Republican conference who voted no?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it does. I think it puts me at greater political jeopardy, of course. But um, look, the number of threats out there. I mean, your safety. Yeah, I think the number of threats out there are real. Um, the, The focus, you know, I remember on the day of the actual attack, seeing people tweet at me, hey, you better be in your office with your doors locked because we're coming. Um, there's no doubt. I don't know if it'll be a, you know, a group, but I think there are people that are just crazy enough that believe that this election was stolen by people like me, and they're ready to fight.
1: Do you believe others who voted yes are also in similar danger? And do you believe thought processes along those lines artificially held down the actual number of Republicans who were seriously considering voting yes on impeachment?
0: Yeah, 100%. I actually believe if people would have voted their conscience without concern for political or personal ramifications, uh, we'd have had 150. Um, I think there would have been, you know, uh, I think there, the, the threats that they felt, whether again, it was political or, or to their physical safety, I think, I think, Tamp that down. I think it was this idea like we just need to get through the next seven days because we we've tolerated Donald Trump for so long. We just got to tolerate him a little more. And I'll tell you, all of them probably went home, and I don't envy them. They went home with a really heavy heart. I came home last night after that vote with with a lot of peace, honestly, and uh and and respect. For the nine of my colleagues that didn't like me. Just, I, I mean, I really, those are the people I'd sit in a foxhole with.
1: Did you talk among yourselves, you 10 about how to how you were going to vote, what you thought it might mean? Any conversations along those lines you'd like to share?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, there was a, some of that 10, you know, we kind of had a group talking uh, more or less about how to go about this, right? You know, once this happened, what is the appropriate way you know, to go forward? Because I, I personally don't believe that the Democrats actually should have brought impeachment forward, But once they did, I was fully committed to doing it because it's, there's no way I could vote against that. And I think it was a proper remedy, but there were a few that surprised me, you know, uh, Tom Rice, uh, that I didn't see coming. Um, you know, Anthony Gonzalez did, did, you know, a great job. I, I just, there, there's 10 people that this was one of those votes that is more than it's more than politics. It's like you, you are, you are, etching your name in history, but also setting the arc of this country. And that's not why you do it, but that is certainly weighing on your head that this has that much gravity.
1: So for the benefit of my audience who may not know you well, I want to bring two strands together. One, the strand you just talked about, an impeachment vote you believed was necessary and believe puts you at greater personal risk for having cast that vote and your service in the United States Air Force and your experience serving alongside who've defended this country and where we find ourselves as a nation when you cast a vote and have to believe that other Americans might injure you or attempt to kill you for that vote?
0: Yeah, that's I mean, it's it's that idea that you have to I I mean, it's almost like a different battlefield. Right. Is is it's sad Um, I think the vast majority of people, here's the thing to all of this though, and why we're in this position, it's years of misinformation. It's years of politicians lying with a little white lie, which leads to where we're at now. But you see hundreds of thousands of people that marched on January 6th, vast majority of them, great people would never go into the Capitol, but they were a victim of four years of baseless lies, uh, culminated by the election was stolen, culminated by that all that tinder that was lit by the flame, by the torch of the president's words, we must fight and never get up. I will be there with you. And now we have a situation where it is not, it's not unthinkable to understand that there are fellow Americans that may want to come after you.
1: How concerned are you about the safety of the Capitol itself and the nation in the days between now and inauguration day, there are ta- there is conversation about mobilizing forces to protect state capitals. There are twenty thousand troops deployed in Washington. What is your level of concern? As my audience listens to you, what do you want them to know?
0: So I want them is that this is real. I mean, I, this cancer of of this of this movement that's happening. It started years ago with Q. Uh, QAnon and and any other kind of like conspiracy or the Oath Keepers, right? These people that believe your oaths to the Constitution, and that is going to include overthrowing every aspect of the government. Um, I think people need to take it very seriously. I, I'm less concerned about the U.S. Capitol at the moment because there are twenty thousand guardsmen here, and uh, God bless all of them. I'm a guardsman myself. I love them. Um, but every state capital is a target, and you know, I think this massive military presence, although it's it's sad is a deterrent. Um, but I also think, you know, again, the threats have been to, to all 50 state capitals. You look at the, you look at the plot to kidnap governor Whitmer, right? You look at what happened on the Capitol. And I think every day that goes by, we're going to realize the depth of that planning and the depravity of it. And it's going to get worse. And uh, we have got a grit of grip on finding out when this stuff is happening earlier. And that's why issues like, you know, Twitter taking the president off or parlor coming down is so important. But we do need to have a larger national conversation about what that looks like.
1: Do you believe it is in any way possible that any of your fellow House Republicans gave tours the day before January 6th that could be fairly construed, as one member of the Democratic caucus has alleged, of reconnaissance for what happened on January 6th?
0: I think it's certainly possible.
1: Um, I, you know, I don't know. I think that I I do. do. Yeah, you think it's possible.
0: I I think every if you look at, you know, one member tweeting in the morning that this is 17, the location of members of Congress and then tweeting when the Speaker of the House leaves the chamber, she knew she knew very well that she was talking to that whole crowd. Um, You know, there was the reporter that was looking at Twitter or something, and and some of the protesters came over, or the rioters, and said, what's he telling us to do, you know, talking about Trump? Um, So I do think it is quite possible. I'm not, I don't know, but I think it's possible that, you know, people were showed around.
1: I hope not, for sure. If that is verified, what do you think should happen to those members? Well, if you were showing people around
0: with the knowledge that they were going to you know have an insurrection on the Capitol. Well, there should be criminal charges and uh, certainly be expelled from the house of representatives but i think even beyond that when you look at the members that fomented the the moment we're in you know uh, we are going to have as republicans too uh, unfortunately my democratic friends are kind of stirring tensions a little bit within the ranks within us but as republicans we have to you know have a family meeting Reevaluate how we got here and figure out who needs to pay for that, and also what do we look like going forward.
1: So, in that light of a family meeting, as you are no doubt well aware, some members of your Republican Conference in the House want to oust the number three elected leader of the House Republican Conference, the conference chair, Liz Cheney of Wyoming. What do you think of that? And does that make the family meeting you just referred to all the more difficult?
0: Will make it all the more fun. I mean, this is all all stuff that needed to happen in terms of these discussions Look, Jim Jordan, who's the one pushing, you know, Liz to leave. He's the one that was basically, he, he, he was leading, you know, in essence, the objection that to the election. I mean, he's the one that's on TV all the time and on radio and on the internet fomenting this darkness and mistrust and stolen. Election, stolen government, you know, theory. I don't think Liz is in any danger. I think people, even though, you know, 190 some didn't vote to impeach, I think 180 of them wanted to,
1: and they have a whole hell of a lot of respect for her decision. Congressman Adam Kinzinger is our special guest. Stay tuned for segment two of the Takeout in a second.
0: It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy C4 Smart Energy.
1: Stay focused.
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout
1: with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Eleanor Republican Adam Kinzinger is our guest, continuing our conversation now. If I hear you, you're talking about a rather gnarly, to use a term of the 70s and 80s, because <laughs> I was alive then and I used it, a gnarly can of worms about oh, you want to talk about Liz Cheney, well, we'll talk about you and how about the perquisites you enjoy as a ranking member. All these things can go in both directions, if I hear you correctly. Yeah,
0: I think we have to have that whole talk. If we're going to open up, you know, kind of a midterm, get rid of somebody that we didn't like that took a principled stand, uh, great. If we are a party that's going to now take out people that take principled stands, then maybe we should have that debate at large and see who actually wins that battle. Look, There's no doubt our party is massively divided. Uh, there's no reason to paper over it. Um, we will come out of the other end, and I think very strong, we will come out stronger if, if we get back to our roots of saying, what is conservatism? What is it we really believe? Uh, and not this darkness, division, garbage that has been stoked.
1: So to that end, the Senate trial, what are your expectations for that? There are those who believe there is something either non-constitutional or irrelevant about doing it after President Trump has left office. Clearly, that's a live question. And if he is actually removed, not from office, but removed from running again in the future and maybe have some of the benefits associated with a post-presidential life taken away from him, do you believe that is a proper and constitutional remedy? do.
0: Yeah, I think, and I think, look, there's, I think the Trump brand, the Trump name, the pr- Trump presidency, uh, to the extent that there was some successes, that, uh, that nobody's going to remember that. And I think, I think <clears throat> President Trump pre-election and President Trump post-election, two different people. And, uh, and I think that post-election president with his accusations and his darkness and his, of course, foaming in an insurrection – um you know i think he's destroyed his brand even more and i think this is a proper remedy and it's a proper thing to do because we have to stand up and say if something like this happens ever again you'll get the same remedy which is impeached and removed
1: what do you believe if you've had well first of all have you had any conversations or do you have any sense intuitively or otherwise about what the the mindset of the senate republican conference is on this question
0: Uh, You know, I don't know, but I will tell you, I won't be surprised if when they take this up that he is removed. I I think it is quite likely you find more than whatever it is, 17 senators or something to remove him on the Republican Party. Um, I think, again, I still believe that every day and what happened on the 6th will, will, will kind of appear way, way, way worse than it does even today. And I think that, you know, if you look at that and, and, and and put that out into the future, I just, I think people are going to turn on him. I think the Trump brand is over. I mean, I'm, I don't know, you don't have a crystal ball, but I just really believe that, you know, they're going to wake up. He's divided people for too long. I mean, major, I've had so many people text me that they're not my friend anymore because they didn't like my vote. I had a family members sign a petition. Uh, to disown me, right? Because I'm in the devil's army. Like that's done by Donald Trump and his enablers for too long.
1: I want to make sure I heard what you just said correctly because it kind of, uh, because of our internet connections, warbled a bit. Did you just say that you had family members who signed what? (laughs) They signed a petition, sent it to my house about
0: basically disowning me since I am in the devil's army. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever read.
1: And that was their words. Devil's army. Yeah. The devil's army. Yeah.
0: And uh, I, you know, look, I'm a pro-life conservative Republican, but in their mind, I'm the devil worshiping, you know, abortion loving. Now they aren't thankfully real close family. They're a little more like second cousins, but to think that somebody made an effort to collect signatures for this is just, it's dark. It is dark. That's for sure.
1: And, um, I wasn't genuinely anticipating this line of questioning, but I can't help but follow up just a teeny bit. Um, Look, I I traveled the country in 2015 and 2016. I attended at least 80 Trump rallies. I saw the thrall in which he held his supporters. I watched it play out during his presidency. I think it's safe to say, I think you would agree with me on this, it's much more than politics, it's much more than ideology, it's much more than party It is something deeply psychological, borderline messianic. There is a religious fervor to it. All of those things seem embedded in this petition you just described. And it's always been my belief, Congressman, that the more psychological politics gets, the more dangerous it becomes. And it feels to me as if we are on a dangerous precipice along the lines of what you've just been describing.
0: Yeah, I mean— I think you, you actually put that in a way that's, <clears throat> I think, adds some eloquent fact to when we talk about cultism. Um, you know, there are, are good Republicans that, you know, voted for Trump because they wanted conservative policy. They probably were with Bush and then Rubio and everybody until Trump. And they're the ones that today are like, you know, I'm, I'm out, Trump's done, let's move on. There's some of those. There's also people that were like that, that today you know, are willing to call me names and, you know, one of my good friends I was in the war with asked me yesterday on a text if I have have sold my soul to the devil for political expediency. I mean, me, right? And like this is alongside. Yeah, a good friend. And uh, I mean, like, is this politically expedient for me? No. Um, But I, you know, we, we can't expect any different because for four years, <clears throat> this ground, this, this base of deception was being laid down. People are overwhelmed with information and they just find somebody they trust and believe everything that person says. That's where we're at. And, and we will come out of that, but it is, it is a, and everybody listening, I'm sure has, you know, a mom or dad or grandpa or grandma or somebody like you all know people in that boat.
1: Mm-hmm. So I just want to ask you about this, uh, because I don't think it's it possible not to record this in every single incident. What happened to you on January sixth? What is your memory of January sixth? What is your experience from January sixth personally?
0: Well, I major I'd been uh saying that there was gonna be violence for weeks because all I have to do is look at Twitter and you take what people say on there, you know, seriously. When they say, Kinsinger, we're coming for you, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And and you know to get screenshots from parlors so anyway i go through that i i i had that ominous feeling in the morning that it wasn't going to be good go into my office go to the floor of the house of representatives for the one o'clock debate i left shortly after it started and uh i get to my office and i see i start to see the barricade stuff happening and like they're still debating and i'm like what's happening anyway as basically the the barricades came down and as we knew that there were people... And they're
1: breached, and there's a the, there's the rush to the Capitol, yep. right? And as we knew that basically people were going
0: to get in, I felt a sense of real evil and darkness. Now, I'm not one of these guys that, you know, there's a demon around every corner and, you know, for about a half hour. I sat around thinking that, you know, there may be, I may have to defend myself in my office. I was armed. And, uh, um, you know, thank you. You were I armed. Did, I was, yeah. And uh, um, I carry everywhere I go except the house floor.
1: Dude, are, are you all, uh, just, 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 uh, just, to, just to get on that, uh, were, are you always armed or did you prepare yourself for that day?
0: I armed that day. So if I'm around DC, I'll usually be armed. But if I go to the Capitol complex, I usually don't take my gun because um, there are so many police. Right. And, and there's just no need. Um, that is the day I specifically on January 6th, I specifically took my gun that day and for four hours, you know, sitting in my office locked with it out. So, I mean, it's a it was an eerie moment. And and for somebody to have lived through what we did and not have a real reason to vote against impeachment, I don't I, I don't know what could ever drive you to.
1: Did anyone bang on your doors? Did you feel that your office itself was in any jeopardy?
0: I didn't, but I also felt like, you know, there was a moment. I mean, there was no communication with anybody. I mean, there's be a lot that's going to be, you know, parsed out. But there was certainly a moment where I felt that this was going to happen. But no, as far as I know, they were never in like my hallway or anything.
1: That is the voice of Adam Kinzinger, Illinois Republican congressman. Stay tuned for segment three of The Takeout in a second.
0: CBS News. This is The Takeout
1: with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Adam Kinzinger is our special guest. Did you ever ask yourself if you should run over there to try to help with your gun?
0: Yeah, no, I didn't because I think by the time you realized exactly how bad it was, um, you know, if they're going to overrun cops, they're certainly going to overrun me. And I'm kind of a a little bit known by these uh, people as somebody that's not super pro Trump. Um, I mean, if it would have come down to a real kind of broken arrow situation, I certainly would have, but you know, it was the Capitol police force went to war that day. They went to war.
1: And one of them died.
0: And actually I think one that, you know, took his own life uh, was very related to that, to that incident as well. They are, the Capitol police are very, very down on themselves. They feel like, I mean, imagine living that job and you're, you, you always think there could be a moment where we have to defend the Capitol and, uh, and you know, the Capitol fell and it's not the officer's fault, it's leadership's fault. And, uh, we'll find out, you know, more.
1: hmm Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader, the minority leader of the House of Representatives, said yesterday the president bears personal responsibility for this. He said that it wasn't Antifa, it was Trump supporters, and he said he wants everyone prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But he also did not vote to impeach, saying that the process was hurried, etc. In the main, do you believe that's a defensible position? to say the president is personally responsible, he's lying about Antifa, everyone should be prosecuted, but no, it doesn't rise to the level of impeachment.
0: I think it, look, I, a lot of people made the process argument. I don't, I don't question their veracity on it, but I I also look at it and I go, so so they'll say, well, we don't want to create the precedent that you can just rush an impeachment like this. I'm like, so instead you're creating the precedent that you can incite a a riot against,
1: you know, the Congress, the executive branch can attack the legislative branch. That's what
0: happened. Yep. That's exactly what happened. And there was a, there was an order that was lit at the, at the speech, but the forces were marshaled and equipped for the last four years. And particularly uh, the last two months. And I just, I, like, again, I, I got the argument. I, I guess there are some that, gen- that genuinely mean it. I also think a lot of people use that as their heart-wrenching reason to not have the courage to vote to impeach. Just my thoughts.
1: Mm-hmm. Will you attend the inauguration of President-elect Biden?
0: Uh, as of today, I intend to. Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm not going to put myself in a...
0: I just, you know, what's the security situation going to be like and... You know What's the security situation? What are the threats? That kind of thing. Um, I've been to every inauguration since I've been in, so I'll probably go.
1: So that leads me to my next I question. Just, I,
0: I think it's important for us to do that.
1: Right. So what do you think the security situation is going to be on Inauguration Day? And um, for those Americans who are traumatized by what they've seen and traumatized by what they yet can't imagine, um, what can you tell them about how safe you think this inauguration will be? Because it's an important moment for the country. Every time it happens, it's an important time, but it may not be more important ever than it will be this January 20th.
0: Well, uh, if you were here looking on the Capitol, you'd think it was overkill. Uh, And I think that's a good thing at the moment. I I would rather have more troops, more barricades than we need than less. I think it's a deterrent force. And quite honestly, I feel like that day is going to be safe. I feel safe here in D.C. right now. If I was an armed group wanting to do violence, this would be the wrong town to do it because uh, there are a lot of young men and women with guns uh, that will kick your face in if you do. So uh, I think rest assured it will continue. We'll go through it. We'll get this inauguration done and we'll move on with the peaceful transfer of power. And as a country, we will put the cancerous, you know, Trump years behind us.
1: So that also leads me to ask you, under what conditions and when do we know we can take the barricades down and uh, depopulate the capital with soldiers who are bio there for the first time since the Civil War?
0: Yeah, no, I don't know the answer to that, except you know, there may always be a little bit of a residual force for a little bit, like we saw after 9-11 in the Air Force. We'll probably have less barricades, but more fencing. Um, I, I think that's what the next year is going to tell us. But It's also going to be, what is the threat stream, right? Are these groups going to continue to exist? I think really beneficial things because just among themselves, but like recruit as well.
1: I'd like your thoughts, Congressman, about the vice president. Not only what the president said about him, which was a lie, said he had powers that he didn't possess, said he should exercise them, which he shouldn't have had. Because if he did, he would have violated the Constitution and governing federal law but that he was also under threat of the United States Capitol and the president did not lift one finger to alleviate that threat to his own vice president. And it is very clear to me, Congressman, that the vice president will be in a position to on January 19th or January 20th, do something ceremonially to extend the hand of the outgoing Trump administration to the incoming Biden administration, which the president will not do. So I'd like to ask you two questions. Give me your thoughts on what the vice president has gone through, the threats that have been leveled against him, the gallows brought to the Capitol on January 6th, and what the president did by throwing him so vigorously under the bus, and what you think he ought to do ceremonially as the remaining member of this outgoing Trump administration to communicate to the country a peaceful transfer of power and an acceptance of the Trump administration in its waning hours.
0: Well, I mean, I think it was pretty rough for Mike Pence. I mean, he's been the most loyal guy to Trump. He now knows what it's like to be a Trump supporter, um, you know, that's known, which is you all. every time you will get thrown under the bus. And that's how Mike Pence feels. I think he's angry. Um, but he is also the man right now uh, that stands between case, like not even having a president and, and where we're at, because, you know, I mean, I think the president, for all intents and purposes, is not president. He's just nuts. He's going crazy. He's self-absorbed at this moment. Um, and I think maybe i don 't know if it 's a speech if it 's a gesture, whatever it is on uh, inauguration that will work to show that i 'm um, not sure what that is, but I will say that he needs to be very aggressive to to show that handoff and that acceptance. There are still people that believe that Trump will be president and the next seven days, a miracle is going to happen.
1: Millions of people that believe that. And some of them said that before they stormed the Capitol. We're not going to let Joe Biden become inaugurated. We're going to make sure President Trump remains president. I mean, that is not just fanaticism. That is something that strikes at the very idea of what America is.
0: Yeah, I mean, totally. It's, it's, and for many of these people, it's not their fault. They, they have taken information that has been put in their head and programmed. We have to deprogram them um so i, I would always encourage people's you know it's it's easy to want to hate somebody on the far right or far left don't just try to try to show light um be, because they're fra- they're fearful everybody's afraid they're especially afraid um and it's a it's an it's an unfounded fear uh but they exist, and uh, you know it's going it's to take
1: this country a while to heal. So do you think that your fellow House Republicans who perpetrated for weeks this massive and monstrous lie that the election was fraudulent, that there was all this evidence that never materialized, and we know this not because we're saying it never materialized, but several courts across this country with jurisdictional control over— any litigatable fact on fraud, the law, and the evidence, found nothing and kept asking to see it. Do you think those fellow House Republicans owe your House Republican conference an apology, owe the country an apology, and need to come clean on this thing that they said that they had to know was not true?
0: Yeah, I I do. I do. And I hope that over time, when when the kind of Trump spell wears off, I hope that they you know, whether it's God that compels them, whether it's the American people that compels them, recognize the damage that they have done and come clean with it, right? You have these people that are so interested in performance art and entertainment and retweets, you know, that they'll say anything crazy and make people believe it. Um, So I hope they do. If they don't come to a reckoning like that, I think we as a party have to force this. If we wanna survive, we have to force this reckoning. And, And that means, no longer saying to people whatever it takes to avoid to avoid the pain. It's now telling people the truth. And if somebody says object to the election, instead of saying I will, but those rhinos, you need to just tell them it's not the place of Congress. I won't do what I can't.
1: is Adam Kinzinger, Illinois Republican member of Congress. Stay tuned for segment four in a second.
0: It's three o'clock somewhere. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. From CBS News, this is The Takeout
1: with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Continuing our conversation with Illinois Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. You described something a second ago, and I want to give you a moment because you have lived this life and you live this life politically. You said, when we get past the spell of Trump, in your own words, describe what that spell is and how you've seen it manifest among your colleagues.
0: It's the thing that took, that in 2016 uh, we saw land. And it landed by the people that were kind of never Trump or they didn't like Trump and they never would never support Trump in the primary like me. And all of a sudden this like thing lands on them and they're able to embrace him, you know, to go out and fight the bigger fight against the Democrats. That does fine at the time. Um, but it has continued to get darker and darker as it's turned into conspiracy theories. I mean, think about this. People believe that the government is being run by people that are not the president that they're supporting because he's so strong and such a leader, but they have been programmed. So I've lived it. I mean, I've, I've had people come up and tell me, you know uh, I created ISIS with John McCain. That's one of them. Right. Or people that tell me that, um, yeah, a good friend, you know, that yesterday texted and says, you know, you've sold out. Have they gotten to you? Um, the anger, the, the somebody blowing a shofar horn, you know, into the Capitol because that's a symbol of the end times, and somehow that means that the Lord's army is here, right? I'm a Christian. Seeing that as offensive to me, um, that kind of stuff is the spell of Trumpism. That I think it's Saturday morning. We're gonna wake up. And look at our Friday night bender we had and shake our head and say, what the hell did we do?
1: So, as you no doubt remember, during the conversation on the floor of the House and on the floor of the Senate, the previous time President Trump was impeached, some Democrats said, if you don't vote to convict, if you don't vote to impeach, this president will take that as a signal and his behavior will grow worse. There were some Republicans who said, no, the president's learned his lesson. Looking back on any of that, do you regret not voting to impeach the president the first time? And do you look at that rhetoric from House Democrats, which may in your ears then have rung as alarmist? Do you hear it in a different context now?
0: Yeah, look, I first off, the Democrats do a ton of alarmist rhetoric when it comes to the right. So but they were right on this. Um, And yeah, I think I mean, knowing what I know now. I would have voted for impeachment, you know, a year ago. Uh, Given the facts I had, I think I was justifiable in voting against it. I think the Democrats actually rushed that process. Um, And that was a process that we weren't a witness to everything that happened, unlike, you know, a few days ago. Uh, But yeah, knowing what I know now, and you think about it, both of the president's impeachment, what are they they related to? His desire to be reelected, but not through the way of like, convincing people to actually vote for him. It was through the Ukraine thing, right? And we're gonna get to Hunter Biden. And then, um, yeah, I lost the election, but maybe there's a magical way I can, you know, just overcome the will of the people both times. It's sad. And I think, you know, for a man and at the, towards the end of his life, it's it's a sad way to end what otherwise is probably a pretty successful
1: life. You said earlier that this will be what the Trump presidency is remembered for. Do you believe it's the only thing it will be remembered for, or do you believe that there is some possibility that other things achieved during his presidency will have some historical resonance, or is all of it, or most of it, going to be refracted through the lens of January 6th? I think it's all going
0: to be refracted through the lens of division and January 6th. I mean, I can't think of a single accomplishment of the Trump administration. Uh, I mean, some good regulatory stuff, like, I I liked tax reform. I think it was smart, but that was actually a Congress proposal that the president latched onto. Uh, I don't know one foreign policy success, with the exception of Israel and the establishment of relations. Um, So I think it's going to be seen as a pretty failed presidency, quite honestly.
1: I want to ask you before we close out here, a couple of things. One, uh, where do you think the nation is with the pandemic? Um, How willing are you to help president elect Biden and his team get things better if you believe they need to be improved? And what do you think your attitude is going to be about what you've seen so far of the early Biden agenda?
0: Yeah, look, I I do. I want the, the incoming president to be successful and, uh, I want him to succeed because then I succeed, then the country succeeds, and I'll work with him in every way I can, Um, even though I disagree with some of his policies. We'll do what we can do, uh, but as a nation, we're going to have to step up, do our part, get past the pandemic, rebuild the economy, rebuild our ability to have discussions with each other, and live a great American life.
1: And how would you judge the overall Trump administration's performance on the pandemic?
0: Oh, that's actually, they've done a lot. That's good. Um, I would, I I don't want to give it a D or an A or whatever. Uh, I think tone wise though, awful. I think focusing the American people on it, awful. Some of the regulatory stuff, pretty good, right. A vaccine, uh, you know, getting things through that need done, like hand sanitizers, uh, you know, company in my district dealing with regulatory issues. Um, I think there's good, there's bad. And, um, We'll have to see what history
1: judges it as. How much do you think America has been changed and will remain changed by the experience of this pandemic, meaning work, meaning telehealth, meaning how we think about going to public places and engaging in going to rock concerts or sporting events? I mean, what do you think our level of adaptation is going to translate to how much we are changed as a nation as a result of all this?
0: I feel like the economy will change like work. You know, people can telework now, but I, I don't think a lot of human interaction will change. I mean, you know, I still, I haven't shaken hands for a year. Now I'm vaccinated so I can do whatever I want. I guess I can't though. But, um, you know, I, uh, and I still go to shake people's hands. I think we're always going to handshake. I think humanity needs touch. It needs hugs. It needs love. We're always going to be surrounded by people. So I think there there is a lot that will return, but I do think the work, uh the work world will change a little bit which actually probably be a pretty good thing you know more time with the family more time at home etc
1: uh one more serious question before i ask you a couple of uh, frivolous questions that we ask all of our guests <laughs> uh, one of the things i heard on the house floor yesterday from some of your colleagues was you democrats did not denounce violence in the summer you instigated violence all over this country and you have a double standard. That cat- that falls to me, Congressman, with all due respect, in the category of whataboutism, because I don't think there's anything comparable. January 6th is a seminal and horrific moment that will stand alone. But I want your thoughts on that line of argument that you heard on the House floor yesterday.
0: Yeah, I thought it was awful. Look, I I condemn, you know, I, I think the Democrats should have condemned the summer attacks way more. They were quiet, and it cost them, I like, think, the House, actually. Uh, or cost the number of seats i actually was activated with the guard to work the riots um <clears throat> but there is a total difference in an attack on a legislative branch of government it is just a massively different issue you know these people that are like we need to do a better job at teaching history in our schools i agree but you can't sit here and talk about the honored history of the united states and be okay with a mob coming to have an insurrection against the Article I branch of the
1: Constitution.
0: You can never call yourself a constitutionalist again if you were okay with what happened.
1: For our radio audience, that's it for our conversation with Illinois Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. For our podcast and CBSN audience, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. Out.
0: CBS News. This is The
1: Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial, continuing our conversation with Illinois Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Okay, I promised three frivolous questions. Here they are. I like them. I don't think they're that frivolous, and our audience loves them. So, uh, in no particular order, most influential book in your life, all-time favorite movie, or one of your favorite movies, and if you are going to dig some music, mean, indulge yourself What kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to?
0: The most influential book is definitely the Bible. I try to read it daily. Um, My favorite movie is Red Dawn, where the Russians attack. That's my favorite. Because I would always, as a kid, pretend like the Russians were attacking my school, and I was charged with saving all the young ladies in my school. (laughs) When I fly my airplane, I listen to like kind of chill music. Uh, Lately, I've been listening to some classic bluegrass stuff. uh, And I also like, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, like rusted roots good. I got a whole bunch of stuff I really just I change every day depending on what I want to hear but you know, um, Imagine Dragons, probably one of my favorite all-time bands.
1: So. Uh, you and Ronna McDaniel, uh, she gave that uh, name to us about two and a half, maybe three years ago. I've lost track when she was on this program. Imagine Dragons, you two are alike in that. So uh, I've ne- I have w- want to make sure I get your definition. What is your definition of chill music? Is that uh, singer-songwriter stuff? Is that yacht rock? What is that?
0: Chill music is more just like kind of contemporary, but cool, like, you would listen to her if you were in like a Euro coffee shop, you know what I mean?
1: Congressman Adam Kinzinger, 16th District of Illinois, our special guest. Thanks very much for your time. And boy, did the Gremlins uh, do a number on us. But we appreciate all your time. Thanks so much.
0: The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seegers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS
1: Audio. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.
0: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may
1: apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator